Hello, and welcome to Nosotros, the podcast about San Antonio culture, politics, and history, and a little more. Uh, my name is Elaine Ayala. I'm your host. I'm Metro columnist for the San Antonio Express News. And my guest today is John Philip Santos. He has a new title and a new promotion and tenure. And so we'll call him Por Professor of Borderland Humanities and Creative Nonfiction at UTSA. He's also the author of two memoirs, including Places Left Unfinished at the Time of Creation, and it was the 1999 National Book Award nonfiction finalist. Um, he's also the first Mexican-American or the first Latino to first be... First Latinx. First Latinx, todo. Primeramente, yeah. Um, well, yeah. To be named a Rhodes Scholar, ladies and gentlemen, here from San Antonio. And I'm really excited to be talking with him about the borderlands in light of everything that's happening at the border. So, welcome, JP. Que gusto. Thank you, Len. Thank you. The best way to start this discussion is to talk about El Segundo de Febrero, which mm. is just recently yeah. um, our landmark date of this mm. important treaty. So, mm. let's talk about how mm. that historic document, that historic mm. day, um, underpins this study. Mm. Well, it's the anniversary of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo that, in a sense, created the border that we know today. Um, the border that um, we know in South Texas, but also the border that traverses the American Southwest. And, you know, it's a legacy of an unjust war, a war of occupation in which the United States uh, literally occupied Mexico and basically forced the hand of um, the Mexican authorities at that time in the 1840s and and created the border we know today. Um, you know, so we, we can think about the border and our place in this geography as, you know, part of a long history, a long history that goes to the origins of um, human communities here in the indigenous world, literally 10, 12,000 years ago, some of the oldest evidence of human occupation in, in what is now South Texas. And then we have this period of the encounter between the Spaniards and the indigenous peoples here, the emergence of colonial New Spain. We are born out of the echoes of the conquest and it's worth noting for people who um, aren't familiar with the history that that our founding in San Antonio, 1718, is almost 200 years after the conquest. Two centuries passed. Quick. Yeah. So all of that emerging new way of being human through mestizo bodies, part indigenous, part Spaniard, is the legacy that we inherit here in San Antonio. And um, it's still with us as today. It's so exactly. palpable. So we are in the observance of February 2nd, where we have to kind of note that it's a it's part of a, the fancy word is the palimpsest of history, the, the overlays, one narrative over another, over another, over another. And it's all about encounters between strangers, the way that we have uh, had uh, a history that, becomes a, a crossroads of the world, really. Mm -hmm. Not just Spaniards and indigenous people, but eventually people from 
everywhere come yes. here and cross paths and in some cases intermix and create new kinds of mestizos. And and we're cooperative and we're at war at the same time. Exacto. And, you know, with the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, um, you know, it's it's part of a legacy also of these legal documents that make up this history. In this case, a legal document signed and uh paid uh, on the bill of $15 million. So $15 million was what Mexico was given for the Que es nada. Yeah, es I mean, nada. It was a little more, worth a little more then than it is now. But, but you know, not um, that much. Not exactly. for not for ha- more than half of Mexico's territory. Yeah. And thus the American Southwest, Yuncacho. Because yeah. we're talking about places in Washington state, places in Utah, places in yep. Colorado and Bear County at one time reached all the way to Colorado. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and also they got a bad deal because, you know, there had been an earlier offer that President Polk had made of 30 million. So they got it on discount, you know. Um, but I think it's important in terms of for us it's a memory that has been lost. So for mm-hmm. our community, for the Mexican-American community, the, the Chicanex world of South Texas, you know, this is something that really, in a sense, created a new circumstance for us. Mm-hmm. And it's 1848. So 1836, Not the, that long the after. dispossession of, um, of Texas becomes a republic. 1848, this new circumstance, a new border, and, and there had been disputes whether the border was the Nueces or the Rio mm-hmm. Bravo, the Rio Grande. So henceforth, we've contended with this legacy. And, you know, it seems a long time ago, 1848, but it really was the day before yesterday. Yes, it really was. In terms of what we're seeing mm-hmm. on the border today. And, you know, I always thought that it's an occasion. I've always thought about it almost alongside the way uh, Jewish folks observe Passover, mm-hmm. that it re- it, it almost um, calls for an annual event in our communities, in our households, a ritual dinner, for instance. How so? Um, where How do you, we, uh, th- where th- we uh, have a bitter herb, you know, <sighs> where we have uh, some sustaining sucker, something sweet, all of those things that have made up our lives in South Texas. That's the fascinating. Impo- you know, th- I think the... The idea of making a ritual observance mm-hmm. around this anniversary is something that would reconnect a lot of our family's memories mm-hmm. with this this important legacy. And, mm-hmm. and, and we, you know, the, the palimpsest continued because 1848, all the way to we think about this period, historians have recently focused on so importantly in the early part of the 20th century between 1905 and 1920, the so-called Hora de Sangre, or La Matanza. Oh, yes. The scourge of anti-Mexican violence. So we're looking at a long period Combined with the Mexican Revolution, too. So we have to deliberately reach out to reconnect ourselves, our families, our communities to this history, to understand what's going on on the border today. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason you're here is because um, you are a leader of a new school, a potentially new school at UTSA. And, and I guess before we talk about that, let's talk about how the U.S. 
Mexico border today, really the upheaval of people all over the globe mm. in similar fashion. Mm -hmm. Their borderlands exactly, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, that that must have been in the whole thought process of studying the borderlands in this way. Well, you know, in travels around the world, especially in the 80s, 90s, and early aughts, um, one of the things that struck me was going to places like Palestine, Israel, you know, um, Cyprus, um, the border between Nicaragua and Honduras, um, all of these contested zones, these borderland spaces were very familiar to me. I, I recognized aspects of all of those worlds in kindred ways to the world that we live in, in South Texas. Um, militarization, control of coming and going, uh, the way that borders interrupt the natural rhythm of humanity, the human flow of our coming and going. It's so stark when you drive into Bethlehem from um, the main, the capital of uh, Israel, Jerusalem, right? You, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you, you drive through and you see a stark, stark border, like you imagine. Yeah. Um, uh, a very stark border. I mean, mm. it's huge. And then you pass over and I felt like I was in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. It's so palatable yeah. to, to see the difference. You know, there was a project at the BBC, the Spanish language BBC service, the BBC Mundo, a few years ago, a brilliant project that in some respects we're trying to replicate, um, a, a project called Los Muros Que No Han Caído, the, mm -hmm. the walls that have not fallen. Mm -hmm. And the idea of this project was really to do ongoing reporting on the 14 most contested borders around the world, Israel-Palestine, Cyprus, Morocco, Kazakhstan, a host of others in Africa and, and Latin America, the U.S.-Mexico border among them, that they were part of that set. Um, so how do we think about, you know, the specificity of our circumstances in this place of South Texas, bordering on North Mexico, where so many families have deep intertwined histories, um, and think about that experience alongside what we can learn from all these other places around the world where very similar forces are at play mm -hmm. and often serviced by, um, same industries. So the border buoys in uh, Eagle Pass right now, they were designed and engineered, constructed by a company in South Africa that is a specialist in menacing barriers. They had a role in the Palestine wall. And, um, you know, uh, that's a that's kind of the uh, the border industrial complex. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. They were rejected by so many countries as being inhumane, but yeah. we bought them in Texas. Yeah, you know, um, in the case of the border buoys, an earlier design for those buoys had been presented to the Border Patrol a few years ago, uh, actually under President Trump, and the Border Patrol declined. Texas stepped up yes. and asked for some enhancements. They replaced some some menacing uh, uh, razor wire with uh, circular saws that are between the buoys. That's right. You know, so people think about this. There are people who, there are engineers who are working on making menacing barriers. Mm -hmm. And for scholars, creatives, 
kindred folks in this enterprise of creating a borderlands humanities program, we're really thinking about something beyond borders, how, how we think about a world that's beyond borders. Um, you know, there's an amazing film by the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei called Human Flow. And it's a, it's an act of witness. It's on Netflix and it just is Ai Weiwei, this phenomenal, uh, artistic genius going around the world to all of these places in Eastern Europe, in the Mediterranean, U.S., Mexico, uh, uh, parts of, uh, Africa, just witnessing people on the move. And we know from, doing our genetic tests, our genetic sciences now that have allowed us to do genealogies, we know our ancestors were incredibly restless. They, they went everywhere. It was a human, it was the human condition. Exactly. And, you know, the, the lesson, a kind of a new human ethic that's emerging out of that space is that we're from everywhere. You look at your ancestors, oh, yes. restlessness, we're from everywhere. And if we're from everywhere, then we have a right to be anywhere. Anywhere. So yes, no sir. borders are legitimate. No borders. Um, it's the ultimate, um, you know, scourge right now politically to say, oh, they're from, they're for open borders. Well, uh, we're in that interval in humanity's development where borders are going to be increasingly twilighted, twilighted, and they'll go the direction of um, the Berlin Wall. You know, and at one time I thought of the Rio Grande sort of as, as my Berlin Wall, mm -hmm. but I've realized that, that the Rio Grande is really more like Ellis Island. It's, it's the passageway to new ways of becoming, of being American. Um, how so, we get there is, is the challenge. Yeah. Um, give us the big picture of what this new interdisciplinary school at UTSA will look like and where it is in its development right now? Well, you know, the arts and humanities are, in a sense, the missing testimonio in terms of how we think about the borderlands today. We, we think about it in terms of politics, economics, militarization, policing. We're not thinking about, you know, the artistic legacies, the deeply human uh, legacies that that shape these borderland spaces here in South Texas. You know, I read a lot of Edmund Spencer and William Shakespeare before I ever encountered the Florentine Codex, the, mm -hmm. the document that preserved the knowledge world of the Aztecs in some form. Uh, so I realized, you know, late in my education, that whole story about my humanities legacy left out had been completely suppressed mm -hmm. it was meant to be erased kind of like the way the missions were meant to go to ruins and mm -hmm. took Galina de Zavala to kind of help mm -hmm. remind us that they were an important part of the story here so what does it mean to build a unique humanities practice a study um, practice in a place like San Antonio at a forum like UTSA mm -hmm. that reconnects our students to that humanities legacy. In some cases, using social sciences, political science, political theory, but also uh, hard sciences like genetics um, to build this new way of understanding where we are in this great epic. So I could say that in San Antonio, in this community, in the setting in the borderlands, we revealed to the United States that 
There is another American origin story, an origin story that comes from the South, comes from Tenochtitlan. Not East-West, but... North-South. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one that has um, very special focus on migration and mestizaje. You know, the, the movement of people, we see a pattern already in the indigenous world, the testimonios left behind by the ancestors in documents like the Mapa de Cuauhtinchan, in documents like the Florentine Codex. All of the people of Mesoamerica were obsessed with their ancestors' migrations and what had brought them to the place where they found a new home. And they were really um, at the center of their spiritual world was this idea of the Teotl, this kind of force, um, not, not sort of the God force, but a kind of a, some kind of a divine force that was always transmuting. It was always metamorphosing. Mm-hmm. And, and so they said, you know, we're really about documenting our becoming and, and telling the story of our, how our ancestors came to the place we now call home. And we know that there's, there are further journeys ahead. Um, so a borderlands humanities has a very different orientation in terms of texts and documents and, you know, imagery and, uh, spanning from Mexico to the Inca world, to the Amazonian peoples, all of whom contended with this encounter with Spaniards, Portuguese, and ultimately the entire world to create these new protean communities, um, these protean peoples. Um, so how do we invite our students to um, connect with that legacy alongside, you know, still reading some Edmund Spencer or some Toni Morrison, some mm. uh, William Shakespeare? Um, Américo Paredes. Américo Paredes. Well, Américo Paredes is part of a borderlands humanities. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a part of the canon of a borderlands humanity. He's a godfather in in this study. First PhD, first Chicano PhD at UT Austin, uh, a kind of a pathbreaker in so many different ways. So, in an example, for instance, you know, really important part of of undergraduate studies, study abroad. Go to London, you see the globe. Go to Italy, see the legacy of Rome, go to Greece and see the uh, temples of, of the Greek civilization. Our students um, could be empowered by experiencing Teotihuacan Absolutely. and Tenochtitlan, these two extraordinary sites, an hour away by flight. You know, literally uh, just Doesn't next cost door. Doesn't that much either. Um, and um, so part of, part of the program that, that will take shape builds on on the work that I've been doing for the last maybe 20 years, um, traveling with some cohorts um, for, out of Harvard, my, my comrade David Carrasco, who's the kind of preeminent scholar of Mesoamerican religion in the United States, but very involved with Mexican scholars and cohorts there. So we've been involved in a group of, of scholars and, and creatives going to these places, tracking these d- new discoveries. We're in a kind of a golden age of Mexican archaeology. And David has a great usage for, um, for this experience. He says that, and I remember something of this as well from my first trip to Mexico City when, when I was in uh, high school, um, around 1976, and uh, you're blown away. 
and they hadn't even discovered the Templo Mayor yet. I was blown away by Teotihuacan and the oh, Museo Antropológico. Oh, me too. Uh, so David calls it your Aztec moment. You have your Aztec <laughs> moment. Uh, you understand that there is this other source of civilizational achievement alongside all that we're taught in our high schools and colleges and universities. Um, and you do have this moment when moment. you're, when you're, um, you just saw the Templo Mayor in Mexico City, and then you go to Teotihuacan, not that far, exactly. by car, yeah. nope. and you learn that the Aztecs themselves had traveled to Teotihuacan to pay tribute to this civilization that was already gone by the time yeah. they were around, yeah. and they see this highway. That the Teotihuacan mm -hmm. built, and you think, I wish I-35 was this wide mm, yeah. and this magnificent. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, um, and th then it makes sense that there are items from the Teotihuacan at, um, the Templo Mayor because they took some things to yeah. bring to their empire. Mm. Um, it was mind blowing. Yeah. Never learned any yeah, of that right. in high school, college. You know, it's really yeah. um, so informative and so available. And books that deal with some of this are some of the very books that are subject to bannings right now across the borderlands mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in places like Arizona, especially, and here in Texas. Um, this is very exciting for UTSA, but I wonder how um, much this kind of study has been um, has been forged elsewhere? Is this brand new? Is well, this somewhat something that you've picked up from other An other important part of it is to build a new kind of community around Borderlands Humanities. There are important things happening at Arizona State. There are important things happening UCLA, UC San Diego. Okay. Um, but there have been very few opportunities to convene um, Borderlands Humanities scholars, creatives, uh, the the people who are advancing this field. Mm -hmm. That's another part of what we want to do is to, to really establish a forum here for convening that network of scholars, in many cases who are doing their work in somewhat solitary um, mm -hmm. settings. Yes. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Américo Paredes and we talk about, you know, his his pioneering work and we have to kind of remind ourselves that that pioneering work was in the 1950s. Uh, his book, George Washington Gomez, wasn't really published until the 1990s. Uh, he had sort of kept it aside and some folks kind of convinced him to, to bring it out. So we're still dealing with very new um, fields of, of inquiry mm -hmm. um, in terms of our historiography, uh, the, the creative work in, in terms of novels and films. Um, so it's still kind of a incipient and emergent mm -hmm. phase. Mm -hmm. um, and um, an important part of it is not just to establish kinships across the borderlands, venues like UTEP and Arizona State and UCSD and such, um, but also, and, and this has kind of been modeled in this work in Mexico, to, to work with Mexican scholars, to work mm -hmm. with Mexican creatives, to work with creatives throughout Central America, Latin America, 
to begin to forge this dialogue that we really emerge out of in South Texas. We emerge out of this very uh, um, important Latin American epic mm-hmm. that has very different features to it um, from that w- which prevails in the United States. Um, yeah. And it's really, um, as you stay in one of your documents about this um, project, is that um, you're reimagining the future of American culture. And that mm. sounds scary mm. to people. I don't think it's going to sound scary to new generations of students and scholars. You know, so many, um, so many students who've I've taught in the last 13 years at, at UTSA, um, the sense of discovery that they have around um, coming to face a document like this extraordinary um, Florentine Codex, this giant encyclopedia of Aztec knowledge assembled um, in Tlatelolco just after the conquest. Lots of issues with it, but an important testimonio of this legacy. Students um, understand that connection implicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our case, in terms of the larger story that's happening in the borderlands today, all the images we see of, of people in misery, um, whether congregating on the Mexican side or experiencing detention on the American side. Um, you know, I imagine a president of the United States being sworn in sometime later in the century, maybe in the 2050s, uh, and she might kind of remember having been uh, in a detention center in El Paso. Uh, and that becomes a part of the great American story. Uh, you know, so. Well, that's breathtaking. That idea is just breathtaking. Gives me chills. Yeah. Well, and that's where we're. That's where we're headed. You know, we are. We're part of this story that is unfolding over millennia. How we connect to that is really what humanities gives us. Just generally, we we do humanities. We we practice humanities studies and creativity to connect to the deepest sources of our our human legacy. And, you know, in this case, I think the most important part of the the shift that's on the horizon is that migration and mestizaje, mestizaje being the kind of cultural mixing of peoples, always at the margin of American culture. Mm -hmm. Migration was sort of seen as, you know, kind of, inconvenient, at times uh, uh, villainized. Um, This legacy really puts those forces of human becoming at the center of American identity. As it should be, because it it defines us. Well, that's a good place to leave this segment. But there's so much more, and we'll look forward to seeing what the what the program, what the school looks like at UTSA. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Lane. <laughs> 